Heavenly Father, may the, med- may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we pray in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you kids have a favorite toy? Those of you who are adults, you can think back to, you yeah, got one? Maddie, you got a favorite toy? Good, yeah. So when I think back to my childhood, I don't know if you kids are familiar or remember what G.I. Joe was, or G.I. Joe's still really around or not. But I was a kid, I loved G.I. Joe. And the reason I like the G.I. Joe toys is because the joints, you know, the various, like their arms and their knees and whatever, they, it was very realistic. They could move in the way that like a real person can move. You know, a lot of your action figures are kind of like, like this, you know, they don't really do much. But the G.I. Joe figures, they could, do, they could do, do almost anything. In fact, you could even remove some of the parts, which came in handy, right? If one of them got blown up or something like that, right? I mean, you know, a leg was over here and whatever, and then you could, when it was all over, you could put them back together, and it was, it was good, right? So think about some of your favorite toys. And I can remember my mom or my dad, often they would, they would give me a toy for my birthday, and they would say, Bruce, take care of your toys. Take care of it. And one of the things that I would do, and then so they would always admonish me, they'd always warn me, they'd say, look, don't leave your toys outside. Kids, you ever do this? You leave your toys outside overnight? Anyone? No, none of you do this. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. So they would say, don't leave it out overnight. And, 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 and here's the thing about toys. Sometimes toys break, and they break in ways that you can fix it. Right? Something happens, you're like, oh, no. But then you're able to put it back together, or maybe you can glue it back together, or something like that. But then sometimes there are to- sometimes when the toy breaks, and what? You, you can't fix it. You can't fix it. It's over. There's the only thing that you could do is buy a new one. But this toy, there's, there's no going back. There's no undoing what's already been done. Or it breaks, and maybe there's a way to fix it, but you don't, you don't know. You don't know how. You don't have the wisdom, you don't have the, the understanding, the skill to figure out what to do. You don't have the know-how. Now listen to this. One night, I, um, I left out one of my G.I. Joe figures. It was left outside in the darkness. Now who knows what happened in the darkness. But the next morning, I found it. And it, some, I don't know, a dog or something had gotten a hold of it but it was all mangled and it was one arm was missing and it was broken in an unfixable way and I realized it was over and my parents were upset with me they I mean they, they actually even though I was sad about it they said what did they say what did they, what did they have told me don't leave it out overnight and so not only was I sad about it but they I, I got punished I had to do the dishes that night there were some other chores I had to do in addition and of course, at dinner that night, I had no appetite whatsoever. And um, I remember my parents invited, that night they invited a college student uh, over for dinner. And of course, being a little kid, a college student, they're old and they're boring. You know, they, they don't, they don't want to play, etc. But at dinner, as I was, as I was sitting there, because I wasn't hungry, I, I listened to this college student, and apparently he was learning, listen to this, he was learning about how to build things. He was doing something called engineering, okay, mechanical engineering. He was learning how to build things. And uh, he, he actually, you know, he kind of asked me some questions. He realized I wasn't very happy because I was sitting there in misery. And he learned about my broken toy. And, uh, and then after dinner, he said, do you mind if I take a look at it? And so I showed him the, in the various parts, etc. And then he said to me, well, why don't I take this and see if I can fix it? Right? 
And I wasn't really sure. I was like, I don't, I don't know this guy. You know what I mean? I mean, he could just take, he just, I could take it by toy and be gone forever. You know what I mean? Could, things could get worse, right? You know? So I wasn't sure, but, but then I thought, you know, I don't know how to fix it. And maybe he does. He's going to college. He seems pretty smart. And so I thought maybe even though I don't have, I don't know how to do it. Maybe he does. Maybe he has the know-how. Right? That word know-how, there was the, a big word for that is expertise. He has the expertise. He has the skill. And not only the skill of the know-how, but he actually has the resources. He actually, maybe he's got glue at home, or maybe he's got special tools or something that enable him to actually fix it. Okay? Now, I want you to, I want you to just imagine this, this, this. Everything I've said so far is true. It's a true story. In fact, he, did, he, took, this, he took the toy, and he actually, for the most part, he was able to fix it. But now I want to just for you kids to imagine something that's not true. I want you to imagine instead that, um, that, his, that he took the toy. And in fact, not only did he take the toy, but he took it back to his father's house. And I want you to imagine that his dad, listen to this, that his dad was a toy maker. Okay? In fact, his dad not only made toys, he made that specific G.I. Joe. Now think about that. If he went back to his dad's house, or his dad's, say, his dad's company, and his dad had made those G.I. Joes to begin with, do you think that he would be able to fix those, those toys? I mean, if you've made a toy, chances are what? You can probably fix a toy. So in other words, let me say it this way. If you fashioned or formed a toy, you're probably able to fix it. Okay? Now listen to this. The, 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 the people to whom this letter was written, the Colossians, lived in a dark world. Okay? They lived in a world where everything seemed to end up broken. In fact, it usually ended up broken in ways that you couldn't fix. And what's worse, just like I had disobeyed my parents and left the toy out, and helped things get more broken. This, this was true for the Colossians as well. They themselves had helped things get broken. Why? By disobeying, by not listening, by their foolishness. Theirs was a world in which brokenness and darkness always seemed to win. It was a world in which darkness always had the last word. But listen, in, in Paul's message, the message of the gospel... They heard about, listen to this, they heard about someone who supposedly had the know-how, they had the expertise, and they had the, 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 the power, the can-do, they had the say-so. They, they, they heard about someone with authority who could fix the unfixable. Someone who actually could beat, who could win, who could overcome the darkness. Okay? Now how could that be? Now, who is this person who could overcome the darkness, who could fix the unbreakable? Well, supposedly, we're going to learn today from Colossians that he's the one who helped to make everything. He's the one who helped to form and fashion all things. And that makes him an authority on all things. Again, if you, if you know how to make something... Right? It obviously means that you know a lot about it. I mean, you know everything there is to know about it because you, you made it. 
Okay, not only did he help to form and fashion all things, but he has the divine power, the divine backing, the divine authority, not only, to, 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 not only to having fashioned all things, but to fix all things. Okay? And in fact, he can only fix all things in the world, but he could fix the foolish things that the Colossians themselves had done. Okay, and we see this. We see this in, in Colossians 1. I'm going to, uh, Lorna started reading in verse 15, but I'm going to just back up to verse 13 really quick. Listen to this. In verse 13, we read this. For he, that is the Father, God the Father, for he has rescued us out from the dominion of darkness. See, that just dominion of darkness, this idea of darkness. I'm going to talk, I'm going to describe what darkness is. But this idea is that we live in this world where the darkness always wins. It always has dominion. It ha- always has the actual Greek word authority. That is to say, it has, we have, he's rescued us from the authority of darkness. In other words, the idea is that darkness always gets its way. Well, what exactly is this darkness? Okay, well, let me, let me give you an illustration. Let me give you a, a list here of things that darkness is about. It's a multifaceted concept. Okay, listen to this, kids. This is important. Darkness, first of all, darkness means, it means decay and dying. Means decay and death. See, how many of you kids, if you were to take a plant or a, or a rose, a flower of some kind, and you were to put it in a dark room, what would happen eventually? It would die, right? Because what, 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 is, what does plant life need? It needs light, it needs the sun. So darkness stands for the idea of decay and death. Eventually, you can have something in the darkness for only for so long, but eventually it's going to die. See, the Colossians lived in a world where decay and death always eventually seemed to win. No matter how great things were, no matter how beautiful things were, how beautiful that rose is, eventually that rose is going to die. So first, the dar- it means the dar- uh, darkness means decay and death. Second, listen to this, darkness means division. It means division. You can't, darkness is cold, it's, it's inhospitable, it's impersonal. Eventually in darkness, conflict and discord have their way. Right? So first, darkness is about, is about decay and death. Second, it's about division. Third, listen to this, darkness is about despotism. It's about dictators. Darkness is oppressive. In the darkness, we can take advantage of others. We can be mean to people. Bad men can become strong and get their way. And finally, darkness is about the demonic. It's about the devil. Darkness is is sinister and scary. How many of you kids, you go into the basement and it's dark, right? And you wonder what's going on. And you mat your mind races and you wonder, well, what's, 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 who's here? And you hear strange sounds. The, the, the darkness stands for that which is demonic, that which is of the devil. It's in the darkness that shadows move, okay? So now listen, so darkness, again, were, the, were these things first? The first I said it stands for decay and death. Second, I said deception. I'm sorry, second, first, decay and death. Second, division. Third, despotism. Fourth, the demonic. But there's one final thing that I want you to see here about, about darkness. That darkness is all about deception. It's about lying. See, it's in the darkness that you can have, um, that you can do secret things. It's in the darkness that you can remain hidden, that things can be concealed, that things can be confused. It's in the darkness that all, listen to this, that all is spin and sleight of hand. So Paul is saying that the Colossians lived in a world where this darkness seemed to have the last word. It's a world of, of darkness and deception. It's a world where we understand very little. 
In fact, it's a world where we don't understand ourselves. How many of you, you're familiar with the, the prophet Jeremiah where he says, listen to this, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it, right? We live in a world of darkness. I don't even understand myself. In fact, the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, I love this quote from the Apostle Paul, this brilliant mind, this big heart, this suffering, this suffering apostle, and he says in Romans 7, verse 15, I do not understand what I do. And that's, that, should, that should be my life verse, right? I do not understand what I do, right? In the mirror so often we say, make up your mind. Who are you? What are you really about? And it's in this world of darkness, in this dominion of darkness, we have no idea what's going on. We don't understand why we do what we do. In this world of darkness, this dominion of darkness, the news media spreads lies. And you wonder, will the truth ever come out? Will the lies win? And we wonder, will the darkness have the last word? We cannot understand the darkness, and that's the point. It's not supposed to be figured out. It's the darkness. Evil, death, sin, None of it makes sense. None of it is logical. Now, I don't know. That may sound sinister. That may sound, but I tell you what, when I look at my own life and when I'm ministering to others, when they have failed, when they are hurting, when they are overwhelmed, there is always one common factor. Confusion. Confusion. What is going on? None of this makes any sense. Why did I do what I want to do? Evil is like that. The evil within us, the evil around us. Why can't we, why can't justice prevail in our world? Why can't I do the right thing? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Let me just, this is just, I'm going to just, just, just talk about this point just for a minute because it's so important. So often when we think about the fallenness, the evil around us, we think we can explain it away. Oh, it's a lack of education. Oh, it's a lack of good parenting. Oh, it's a lack of this. We think we can somehow figure it out and uncover what's going on. But the darkness suggests that what's wrong with us, what's wrong with our world is mysterious. It's unknown. It's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. And it seems to always win. In fact, let me give you a contrast here. I'm going to show a video clip here. Ron, if you could cue that, that would be great. This is, a, this is taken from a, a movie, a Batman movie called The Dark Knight. And it's, uh, it's the second movie uh, by Christopher Nolan uh, on the Batman series. And it's a discussion between Bruce Wayne, you know, it's Batman, and his, his assistant, Alfred. And they're talking about the enemy, the Joker. And, and Bruce Wayne has this approach to evil. It's, it's a very modernistic approach. It's the approach that you and I, that we hear in higher education, that we hear all around us. It's this approach that you just have to sort of figure evil out. He says to Alfred, he's going to say here in a second, he said, criminals aren't complicated. We just have to figure out what the Joker is after. And Alfred pushes back in this really strong way and says, you know what? Evil is a lot more complicated than that. Go ahead, uh, go ahead and play that if you can. Targeting me won't get their money back. I knew the mob wouldn't go down without a fight, but this is different. They've crossed the line. You crossed the line first, so you squeezed them, you hammered them to the point of desperation. And in their desperation, they turned to a man they didn't fully understand. Criminals aren't complicated, Alfred. We just need to figure out what he's after. With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. 
But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport. Because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Thanks, Ron. He's got it. You got it. Now, that may seem extreme, but I'm telling you, sin and evil at the end of the day don't make sense. Only pay for there's, there's no logic to it. There's no understanding to it. And Paul is saying that we live in a world where that darkness, that deception, it has a dominion. And the question is, will it have the last word? So Paul, so Paul speaks of this darkness, but then he speaks of one, listen to this, this is so important, who has the Father who has transferred us out of the dominion of darkness, verse 13, rescued us from that dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul wants to now, and in verses 15 through 20, he wants to elaborate on the nature of that kingdom, the nature of the authority of the person of Jesus. Because the question is this, well, he's rescued us from the darkness, but can the darkness still win? Are we really safe from the darkness? Are we safe from the powers of deception, the powers of despotism, the powers of dictators, the powers of death itself? Are we really safe? And Paul's answer is an amazing yes as he shows us who the person of Jesus is. Look in verse 15. We see in, in verses 15 through 20 basically a, a wonderful description of the person of Jesus. A, one, for, uh, and it's divided really into two main sections. It's a little more complicated than that. But first is, is where Jesus is described as the one who helped form the world. Verse 15 and 16. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let me explain that. The Son is the image. And by image here, image is, is the idea, it's a little bit complicated. It's the idea of uh, a, a means of influence, an image. For example, when you think of a coin, a coin has uh, an image usually of a president. Or in Jesus' day, there was a discussion that he was having with uh, some religious leaders, and he, they asked him if it was lawful to pay taxes. And he asked them for the coin to pay the, the, the tax. And he says, whose image is this? And they said, well, Caesar's. And he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So in other words, this image was not there just to show you what the Caesar looks like. It was there to show his authority. Right? It's, it's the Caesar who's in charge. So the Son is the image of the invisible God in the sense that the Son is the one who is God's agent of influence in the world. It's through the Son that God acts. You might think, think of it this way. The Son is to the Father what the quarterback is to a coach. The Father is on the side calling the shots, if you will, calling the plays. And it's the son who's out there on the field actually executing and making it happen. God the Father is, is making decrees, deciding what should happen. And it's the son who's out there in the world making it actually happen. 
or if you flip to basketball, where the coach is on the side, it's the point guard who's got the ball going down the court, and he's, he's helping set up the play. That's exactly the idea here, that he is the image of the invisible God. He's the one who actually executes and gets things done in the world. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. In the ancient world, the firstborn was the second in charge of the estate. He was the second in charge of, of, the, of the household. You had the father who was over all things, and then the firstborn was understood to be the one who had that derivative authority, that if something were to happen to the father, or if the father eventually passes, it's the firstborn who has the right to take over the entire household. And so to be the firstborn over all creation is to say that he's the second in command. Verse 15, he's the, the son is the image, he's the firstborn. Why is that verse 16? For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Understand, this, assumed in this idea of creating all things is the idea that Jesus has authority over them. If he built it, he can rebuild it. If he formed it, he can fix it. Does that make sense? So the idea here is that he's saying, look, you don't need to be scared of the darkness. You don't need to be scared of deception, of all the spin in the news media. You don't need to be scared of the corruption in politics. You don't need to be scared of disease. You don't even need to be scared of death because there's one who is over all the powers of darkness. He knows exactly how they work, and he can undo, he can reverse anything that they have done. Not only, though, is, is Jesus here portrayed as the one who formed all things, he's portrayed as the one who can fix all things. Look at verse 17, verses 17 through 20. Verses 17, is, or the first half, is sort of this summary. He says, he is before all things, that is to say that he outranks all things. And it says, and in him all things hold together. What a statement. I can't even really get my arms around that. There's this connection between the, between the world that we live in and Jesus, that there's this, he, he sustains or upholds all things. Verse 18, and he is the head of the church, the, he's the head of the body, the church. Now that's important, we'll come back to that verse. Let me continue here in verse 18. He is the beginning, that is to say, he's the epicenter of a new order, of a new era of history. He's the beginning, and he's the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is, if you will, this is so beautiful, Jesus is, if you will, Adam 2.0. He is the first person to break the code of death and arrive on the other side. And that's why it's so important to understand verse 18. He is the head of the body of the church. That is to say that if we are united to Christ, if we have faith in him, if we give our lives to him, we are united to him, we are, we are a member of his body, and whatever happens to him happens to us. We are united. In fact, we're just in a few minutes, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's what we, the Lord's Supper is all about. It's I'm actually partaking of the body and blood of Jesus. I'm saying that I am united to him, and whatever happens to him happens to me just as he obeyed perfectly. Now it's as if I obeyed perfectly. Just as he died on the cross for sins, now it's as if I died on the cross for sin. Just as he rose from the dead, so it will be that I too will rise from the dead. As he returns to reign, so too I will join him in that returning and reigning. 
that we are participants, we are caught up in his destiny, in his future. And so just as he is the beginning, the the firstborn from among the dead, because of that, in everything, listen to this, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There's no aspect of the darkness that will have the last word. Jesus reigns over all of it. And why is that, verse 19? For God was pleased to have all his fullness, that is the fullness of his power, dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood on the cross. Basically, what happens on the cross is that Jesus takes down, grabs all the forces of darkness and takes them down with him. He takes the old order down with him and he pulls the plug so that that the forces of darkness will not have the last word. So listen, as we go, as we live our lives, having been transferred out of the the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, here's how we are to live. As though deception won't have the last word. The darkness hides and it distorts, but we, we are to speak the truth about ourselves. Jesus died in our place, and we can come out of the shadows and into the light, admitting who we are. We can expect confusion, and we don't have to, we don't have, to have everything figured out. We can, look at, uh, we can look at despotism and dictatorship. We can look at corruption in government, and we can speak truth to power. We can say we must obey Christ rather than men. In fact, we can look at death itself. And in the darkness, when the darkness, in the darkness, death gets its way. But with Christ as the firstborn from the dead, we belong to a community that can pass through death without fear. Who can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now think about that, kids. I want you to think back to that story I started with. A story of a, a, a son who comes and who says, do you see what's broken that you have? I can fix this. I can overcome this. I have the authority. I have the knowledge. I have the skill. And to be a Christian is simply to give your life to that person, to give your life to Jesus and say, yep, Jesus, you have authority over the darkness. I fully surrender to you. I unite myself to you. And I want to walk in the light. I want to walk in truth. 